My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Gabriel Aladua. As successful as Canada has been at propagating a mythology about itself that claims otherwise, this country has always depended, in one way or another, on land, resources, and labor taken from people, particularly indigenous, black, and other racialized people, in unjust ways. Settler colonialism and slavery were the beginning of it, but far from the end, and many trace a related thread through things like the treatment of Chinese railway workers in Canada in the late 19th century, histories of Canadian resource extraction companies abusing people and land in all corners of the earth, vigorous Canadian advocacy for neoliberal trade agreements that entrench hardship and exploitation in the global south, and of course the injustices codified into law in Canada's very own temporary foreign worker programs. This year is the 50th anniversary of the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program, which brings workers each year from a variety of countries in the global south to work on Canadian farms. Gabriel Aladua is from St. Lucia. Four years ago, the combination of an economic slump on the island with a hurricane that wiped out his until then successful business left him with little alternative but to apply to the program. While he's certainly happy of the opportunity to earn money to support his family, Canada's success in propagating its mythology of innocence and benevolence left him completely unprepared for the brutal and unjust conditions that workers face in this program. They are, by law, in a different category than workers who are citizens or permanent residents, and are deprived of many rights that Canadian workers take for granted. They're tied via their work permits to a single employer. Often that employer controls their housing, which is often substandard. They get no overtime pay and are excluded from many basic employment standards protections. They pay into Canadian social programs but are not legally allowed to access them. When they're injured in the course of their hard, hard work, they're often deported without full treatment and they're legally barred from unionizing, and at the slightest sign of complaint or resistance, employers can summarily fire and deport them. A group called Justicia, or Justice for Migrant Workers, has been organizing workers in the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program for a decade and a half. Aladua encountered the group a few years ago when, near where he was working, they held a vigil for ten migrant workers who had been killed in a tragic vehicle accident. Since then, he has done his best to stay connected with the group and participate in their events when possible, and when his agricultural work contract ended earlier this year, he signed on as an organizer with Justicia. To commemorate the 50th year of the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program, and to demand justice from the Canadian government, Justicia has embarked on a month-long caravan across Ontario that they're calling Harvesting Freedom. They're traveling from community to community, doing events, raising awareness of the injustices that migrant agricultural workers face, and building solidarity. Though the injustices they face are many, they're making but a single demand, permanent resident status for agricultural workers on arrival. This single change, they say, would be a significant step in addressing all of the other problems. 
I spoke with Aladua by phone on September 13th, about two weeks into the month-long caravan. He tells me about his experiences as a migrant agricultural worker and organizer, and about the Harvesting Freedom campaign, which will be culminating in Ottawa from October 1st to 3rd, at which point the workers will present their demands for justice to the federal government. My name is Gabriel. I'm from the island of St. Lucia. I've been a migrant farm worker for the past four years, and now I'm an organizer with Justicia. Harvesting Freedom is a campaign to mark the 50th anniversary of the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program, where we're seeking to get equality. We're seeking to get fairness for farm workers who work under really, really difficult conditions. These are inhumane conditions, and these conditions have been existing for a very long time. And we're seeking for fairness in a country that prides itself on equality and fairness. We are fighting for fairness for the people who've been harvesting fruits and vegetables in Canada for the past 50 years. I became a worker in 2012 as a result of a hurricane that really took me out of business. What happened is, at that time, I was self-employed, and exactly one year, I'm running my business. And at that time, my business was diversified into five different components. And I felt so comfortable. I felt so comfortable and confident that my income is diversified. Even though one is affected, you know, I'll still be able to earn a livelihood. But just one hurricane messed up everything. And what compounded that situation was up to now, because of the global financial crisis, we have less people traveling. Our economy is not doing well. So we have unemployment. We have really issues with unemployment. In addition to that, the hurricane made things really difficult. And making it worse still is that we depend heavily on bananas. And bananas is now infested with a serious disease called black cicatoka. And it's really difficult to control. So unemployment is high at a time when, you know, when I have a family to support and being unemployed. It's like I was at my lowest point in life, being unemployed with a family to support. Then I got the opportunity to work in Canada, which I'm really, really grateful for. Generally, migrant farm workers work in different farms with different crops, tobacco, apples, and so on. But me, I've been working in um, very south of Ontario in Leamington in the greenhouse production of tomatoes and organic sweet peppers. When I got to Canada, I really got face-to-face with reality. Nothing prepared me for the conditions that I am facing in Canada. The truth is, there are 20 serious, 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 difficult working conditions that any and all migrant farm workers are facing in Canada. These conditions are what I call the 20 dark sides of Canada. But the truth is, these conditions, they exist quietly among us, and it is because of the way the system is designed. The difficult conditions, there are 20 of them, as I said, and they range. There's a wide range of issues. One of them is we have a tied work permit. And the very word tied means that you're tied to the farmer. If you compare that to an open work permit, with an open work permit, you're more or less allowed to work anywhere where you're qualified and capable of. But if a tied work permit, it ties you to the farm and you have no choice in facing the conditions that they hand to you. You have no say in that. Other conditions would mean like you're tied to the farm, they control your housing and the housing is overcrowded. It is substandard and it is unregulated. Other issues we face would be we have no access to social programs that we contribute to consistently. For example, EI, we contribute to EI consistently, but we have no access to that. 
other issues we have is that with the system as it is right now, power is given to farmers to influence decisions. And what policies they have is that profit takes priority over the workers. And we have other issues like in Canada, we work in dangerous jobs with very little protection. And when we get injured on the job, we are deported back to our countries. Even though we are still going through treatment and we have not healed, they still send us back. Is that fairness? Also, we have been excluded from reviews and policy decisions. These are serious issues in Canada. It, would you believe me if I said it is illegal to unionize in Canada? The government has not decided to sign and ratify the UN's International Convention on the Rights of Migrant Workers. Other serious issues we face is we have been physically separated from our families. And this contributes to our family breakdown. It contributes to social ills and it perpetuates the vicious cycle of poverty. These are serious issues that we face. Ultimately, I would say, right, there are several issues, as I said, but ultimately, the Canadian immigration policy, it places us into a group that we have no status. And in Canada, if you have no status, it means you have no rights. We have no rights. It makes us vulnerable. We are precarious. And as a result, we are being exploited. The moment you speak up a little for better conditions, they deport you. These are some of the main issues that we face. And you can see, this does not reflect a modern Canada. You will not associate these conditions with Canada. You would associate these conditions with a different country. And these are conditions I do not want my children to work under. These are conditions I don't think anybody would like to work with. I don't think these are conditions anybody would like their children to work in. Walk listeners through a typical work day and typical work week for a migrant agricultural worker in Canada? Typically, first of all, if you look at housing, there are eight of us in a room, and in the building where I live, there are 62 guys. But if only one television, can you do the mathematics there? One television for 62 guys, there were only three stoves with 13 burners. Can you do the mathematics? As a result of limited access to the stove, it meant that my day, a typical day for me, would start at five, just for me to get access to the stove. A typical day would mean starting work generally at 6 or at 7, depending on the time of the year, and working minimum 10 hours. In summertime, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. Also, a typical day would mean working really, really fast. For the week, would work in excess of 60 to 70 hours and without any overtime pay. Also, every week, we would have on the bulletin board a list of the different activities that we perform and those who are at the bottom the supervisors would come to them and tell them that your performance is below what we expect look at so many people are performing way above you i do not want to see you at the bottom you should be at the top so they keep reminding us they keep pushing us because they know that we are vulnerable and we cannot complain other serious issues would be they would remind us that back home unemployment is high there's a hundred guys who are lined up willing to take our place so they keep pushing us pushing us pushing us also, on the farm where I work, and most of the farms that I've visited, a technique that's commonly used is to have people from different countries. On the farm where I live, there were the Barbadians, the St. Lucians, Jamaicans, and Guatemalans. And among us, there was that kind of competition. At the end of the day, St. Lucians want to perform or to work in such a way that we want the employer, the farm owner, to say, St. Lucians work better than Barbadians. The Barbadians want to outperform the Guatemalans. The Guatemalans want to outperform the Jamaicans. There was that kind of competition in addition to the listing of the different activities I just mentioned, which is called the variable piece rate. And it is really creating conflict and it's pushing us above and beyond what our body can normally support. And what's your sense of why the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program exists and where it came from? 
as far as I know, the program exists for three reasons. Well, really for one reason, but it is built on three pillars. The main reason why this program exists is to perform jobs that Canadians do not want to do. That is the main reason. And what is built up on that is that we are coming here to do those jobs that Canadians don't want to do, but with no rights to apply for status. In Canada, you have status, you have rights. In Canada, you have no status, you have no rights. The other serious issue is we come to Canada to perform these jobs, but under a tied work permit, and we are granted very limited rights. Is that Canada? Is that fairness? Is that a place where human rights is guaranteed to all? So the main thing is we are here to perform those jobs that Canadians do not want to do. We do not have a problem with that, but they are difficult jobs, and we do these jobs with very little protection. The moment we get injured, we are sent home. So we have no rights, we have no status, and that is what we are fighting for. We are fighting for rights, we are fighting for status. And to us, rights means status. How did you first encounter Justicia, the, the group that you work with now? First of all, before I came to Canada, I had really, really high expectations of Canada because one, it's because of Canada I got the opportunity to complete a secondary school education. So in 1986, they had very limited school places in my country. And miraculously, in 1986, I got the opportunity to complete a full secondary education in a school that was funded by the Canadian government. At that school, all the subjects that I studied, geography, agriculture, social studies, you cannot study this subject without studying Canada. And from the studies I did, I got the impression, and I'm pretty sure that's the impression everybody has of Canada, a place of diversity, a place where human rights is guaranteed to all, a safe place of refuge, you know. And when I got here, my expectations were that high. But when it met with reality, I met those 20 serious difficult working conditions, which I call the dark side of Canada. And from the very word go, I wanted to vent, I wanted to do something about it. So when I met with the group, that was the first time I came across an outlet, an opportunity to fight for better conditions. I first got to meet them as a result of an activity they had been somewhere in Kitchener-Waterloo area, where they were having a vigil to mark a tragic accident where 10 farm workers from Peru, 10 of them died as a result of a vehicular accident. So they had a vigil in Waterloo in 2012. That is how I got to know about them, and that was my first contact with them. What does Justicia offer to migrant farm workers in terms of opportunities to vent and to learn and to resist? We, the farm workers, we come to Canada and we have no idea what our rights are. It is very clear that we do not have rights, but the little that we may have, we have no idea what they are. We have no idea where to turn to. And literally, we are tied to the farm. We are cut off from the world. We do not know anything. In a country that preaches said, we know nothing. We know nowhere. So just see what they do. They empower people to the limited rights that we may have. They do that by carrying out workshops and little training sessions and little solidarity activities. Like on Mother's Day, they, they get with the farm workers together to build some strength and basically to socialize and, you know, to get access to the little knowledge that they impact. Are there any risks or potential downsides for workers when it comes to getting involved? As I said, in Canada, if you have status, you have rights. If you have no status, you have no rights. And that is the vulnerability and the precariousness that we find ourselves in. So what happens is that most of the guys, they rather to better conditions than to rock the boat, than to fight for better conditions. They know that they stand the risk of being deported, right? 
But my philosophy is the little rights that I have is because of the sacrifice of other people. And I'm willing to fight for better conditions for workers because if we don't do anything about it, it will just get worse because there's no sign. After 50 years, there's no sign that the conditions are getting better. Some of us are willing to take the risk and fight it all the way. How did you make the transition to being an organizer with the group? From my very first contact with Rusticia in 2012, I became a member. But because of my tied work permit, my work commitment, I could not take part in much activities. It's only when they were in my area and when I wasn't working, when I had time off, when I was available, then I was able to take part. But now that my contract has ended, I'm able to spend more time to take part in the caravan and do outreach work. Tell me about the origins of the Harvesting Freedom Caravan and about the work that it took in advance to make it happen. It first got started, well, one is because it's the 50th anniversary of the program, so we wanted to do something significant to mark that. That's one. Number two, there's a change in the federal government. That's number two. Number three, the truth is the whole problem we have, the root of our problem is the law, the Canadian immigration policy. That's the root of the problem. And we know that it was written by men and it can be changed by men. And we know that with solidarity, we can change that. That is where the whole idea came about, that if we can mobilize support in the community, that can apply the pressure to bring the changes that we want, to bring fairness that we want. The whole Harvesting Freedom campaign, it's a whole month for an activity, a whole month of activities. And for that activity to entail 1,500 kilometers, it is really stretching us above and beyond you know, our means. And we do that with very, very, very limited resources. Now, as a result of that, we had to do a lot of planning with all the different communities and sister unions to mobilize their support and their assistance. So we had a lot of planning meetings and a lot of organizing with, you know, the different communities, lots of coordination, lots of activities to put all the little pieces together to make sure that the whole caravan works out smoothly and achieve the goal that we really want. What other organizations have you been working with? There's so many of them, like in some places, the universities we are partnered with. In some places, the unions, like in Windsor area, lots of the different unions, which I'm not too familiar with all their names. Unifor, COPSU, these are two I can remember. There's so many different organizations, but I'm not too familiar with the Canadian system. But there are lots of support groups that I can't remember their names. Lots of different support groups and unions, schools that are partnering with us and supporting us. So we're speaking at about two weeks into the Harvesting Freedom Caravan. So tell me a bit about how it's been. Where did you start? Where have you gone so far? What kinds of activities have you engaged in? That kind of thing. The caravan started in Limington, which is generally considered to be the birthplace of Ustisia. Limington would be the tomato capital of Canada, and that is in the very, very south of Ontario. On the 4th, we started in Limington. Then we went to Windsor on the 5th and the 6th for Labor Day and other activities. We've been to Chatham on the 7th, then Blenheim on the 8th, then London on the 9th and the 10th, Tilsonburg on the 11th, and we are now in Brantford. I'm hoping to live there on the 15th when we go to Linden. In different communities, we have different activities. Like in Limington, we had a dinner with some of the workers and the screening of Migrant Dreams, which is a new film which highlights a lot of the 18th 
century working conditions that exist in Canada. In Windsor, we took part in Labor Day activities in addition to press conference and leafleting. In Chatham, we met with a worker who got injured on the job three months ago. He's still going through treatment. And instead of the usual six-week prior notice of his departure, two days before, he was told that his ticket is booked for him to go home and he's still going through treatment. So we had a press conference to highlight just that one serious issue, that we work in dangerous jobs, difficult jobs, and when we get injured, instead of we getting treatment, what happened? We've been deported. We come to Canada as a whole unit, as a well, healthy working body, but when we get broken into pieces, they send us back home. Then in Blenheim, we met three workers on a tobacco farm who have serious health issues, but the conditions there is really, really difficult, and they are cut off. Literally, they have no rights. They do not know who to turn to. This year is the first year. They have no idea who to turn to. These are the workers that we connect with to try and guide them and support them. Different activities would also mean like leafleting at the farmer's market, um, marching in the community, radio and television interviews, also community discussions with different groups. So we have a wide variety of activities. Also, we have barbecues and cookouts with farm workers, different socializing activities with workers. During your leafleting at farmers' markets and in other contexts, what kinds of responses, what kinds of conversations have you encountered, particularly from people who are the consumers of the fruits and vegetables that migrant farm workers produce? The kind of conversation is that they never know that behind the fruits and the vegetables that they eat, they never know that there's so much injustice existing in the society. They're surprised. Most of them, they're willing to do anything possible within their power to create better conditions. They know that the country is built on hard work, but they do admire that people who work hard, they should get decent treatment. People, they are, regardless of the work that we do, it should be decent work, better conditions. So most of the people, they're really surprised that these conditions exist, and they're willing to support in any way possible to create better conditions. Certainly, there are some people who have negative responses, but I'm not surprised because generally we know. Generally, we know that the system as it is, there are some people who benefit, and it's a small percentage of the population who benefit out of that. And who would want to give up those benefits without putting up a fight? So we expect there to be propaganda. We expect there to be challenges, right? There are a few myths that are going around, but we know whenever a lie is repeated long enough, that generally it becomes accepted as a fact. We know that they give the impression that if we are granted status, that would leave the farm to do better jobs. That's the impression they give. But the truth is, we only temporary foreign workers, according to the government. We only form 0.5% of the Canadian labor force, 0.5%. But they give the impression like there will be a mass migration from the farm into better jobs. And that is a myth. That is a myth. All the workers, they are farmers back home. That is what we are custom of doing. But again, this is a myth and also propaganda that is being disseminated just to make our task even more difficult. But the truth is, the truth is most people are aware that the people who enjoy the system as it is, they will put up a fight and they know that work is work and every work deserves good working conditions. What do you have planned for the culmination of the caravan in Ottawa? We have not quite finalized that, but certainly we're seeking an audience with the Prime Minister where we would hand him our petition. That is the ultimate thing, right? To build solidarity. And our solidarity is through an online petition, which is at www.harvestingfreedom.org 
through that petition, we'll pressure the government into creating that change that we want. And seeking an audience with him to highlight that is our ultimate thing. Because as I said, the root of our problem is the law. And who creates the law is the government. It's not the farmers that are our problem. It's not the consumers that are our problem. It's the law. And the law means getting face-to-face with government to create the change that we want. And we can only create that change through solidarity, which is what we are doing along the way, so that when we meet face-to-face, we have enough strength to face government, face-to-face, and settle the issue. And tell me more about the demands that you'll be presenting to the federal government. Our demand is very simple. Our challenges are 20 of them, but our demand is one simple thing, to grant status upon arrival to farm workers. In Canada, you have status, you have rights. You have no status, you have no rights. And it is just that one thing that would help us to more or less take care of most of our challenges. So permanent residency, that is all we're asking for. It is just that single demand, status upon arrival. Equal rights, fairness means status to us. So what can listeners who are supportive of your demands for justice do? particularly if they live in communities that the caravan won't be going through? There are several things that people can do. One is they can sign our online petition, which is at www.harvestingfreedom.org. Number two, they can lobby the MPs and MPPs. Number three, at the dinner tables, every fruit and vegetable that's at the dinner table, they can use that as a point of discussion. Number three, they can talk to their friends and families to sign the petition. They can also look out for the movie Migrant Dreams. They can also look out for the caravan and come and support and take part in our various activities. These are some of the little things, practical things, simple things that they can do. Generally, Canada is being two-faced. Canada gives the world one impression. We can bring 25,000 Syrian refugees into the country taking them out of a difficult life and, you know, bringing them in to start a new life. That's the impression they give to the world. That's the impression I have of Canada. But nothing is being said. Look at the laws that exist, 18th century working conditions. You know, look at these conditions that exist in Canada. Nothing is being said to address these issues. The system is designed in such a way that these oppressive conditions exist among us without the public getting to know. Canada is being two-faced and people should know that. Also, Canadians should know that 18th-century working conditions exist quietly. Why are they existing quietly? It's because we are precarious, we are vulnerable, and we cannot speak out about it. The moment you speak out, they send you home. Because of our precariousness, this hides the real conditions from society. It keeps it covered, it keeps it a secret, and people should know about that. And people should know that they can change these issues. You have been listening to my interview with Gabriel Aladua. He is a migrant farm worker and an organizer with the group Justicia. We were speaking about the Harvesting Freedom Caravan that is currently crossing Ontario to demand justice for migrant farm workers from the federal government. To learn more about Harvesting Freedom and to sign the online petition in support, go to harvestingfreedom.org. That's harvestingfreedom.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 